Just join with me in prayer, please, before we open the Word. Lord, I just pray that you will uh, take the words that are spoken this morning and that you would use them, Lord, to uh, help us to understand more of your love, Lord, for us and your desire and your plan for our lives. Father, challenge us with your Word. Encourage us with it, Lord. Uh, Father, we, uh, we just come before you and we pray that we would be obedient to what you say to us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Rod mentioned about hobby horses and uh, um, I have a bit of hobby horse about certain things that I like to talk about. And uh, we'll see if we can get the first slide up. Coming up. It's almost there. Next one. Okay, so these are my hobby horses. I, I feel that there are certain things that are sort of holding back the church in New Zealand, and, and one of them is this absence from our neighbourhoods, our communities not being present, not being rooted in our neighbourhood. That's one thing. Lost. I think I wonder whether a lot of us have lost confidence in the gospel and the good news, and we, we, are, we struggle with how relevant it is. Uh, to everyday life and uh, and our identity as Christians we're, we're hammered often in the press these days a lot of bad press and then the sense number three sense of entitlement lack of grace we often live with the understanding that we're still in a, in a Christendom period that we are a Christian nation and that people have to hear our voice and we get upset when they don't and but the one I'm going to talk about today is this last one lack of table talk hospitality within and without and it's a hospitality side that um, I'm going to be talking on this morning and uh, it's uh, the way I'm going to be uh, sharing on hospitality I struggle I struggle with hospitality full stop but um, this is just uh, coming to it from a slightly different angle perhaps than what we normally think about hospitality um, so we'll we're going to have a video and uh, hopefully that will just uh, illustrate things it's not a comedy this time
Some of, some of you will remember that's been played before, but I think it illustrates quite good um, that people need connection with each other. And of course, um, as Christians, we, we know it's not just a, the world need love, needs love, it needs the love of Jesus in, in our hearts. So, hospitality is a Christian practice that extends all the way back to the book of Genesis. Although in contemporary Western culture, uh, people use the term to mean uh, a meal or putting on a party. Hospitality means far more as a Christian practice, though. Hospitality is the offer to extend the privileges of community to those who do not have the standing to expect it, especially those who are vulnerable because they are strangers. Hospitality often involves sharing meals, but hospitality is more than just eating. Eating is, for example, one of the privileges of being in, in our family. When our kids were at home, they had the right to expect to be fed every single night. When I shared a meal with them, it was not an act of kindness. I owed it to them at that time. We're waiting for them to reciprocate now, of course. But uh... <laughs> When I share such a meal with outsiders, I invite them into my family for that brief period. Hospitality is an offer to identify with outsiders and treat them like insiders. Hospitality is extending privilege across difference. What is the one thing we, we crave for? Is it to be welcomed, to be received, invited in? I don't know if you remember seeing there's a painting, I think, somewhere that has a picture of uh, a child looking through a window. He's out in the cold and snow looking through the window um, at this family having a lovely warm meal around the fire, possibly at Christmas time. And uh, so I've got one of these pictures here. So there you are. Oh, sorry, the wrong one. Next one. This one. So, um, so yeah, we, we, we do, it's terrible to be left on the outside. People really want to belong. They, they want to be accepted and loved. Even the homeless on the streets need that sense of belonging. And, and many of them form friendships together with other street people. Some people are so desperate that they grasp at any form of friendship just to have someone near. Often they can be taken advantage of or they mistake the physicality as a real connection. And it's interesting that through our COVID era, there have been many, many discussions about working from home versus working in the office. And it's slowly coming around, that there's still a number of people that really enjoy working at home. It, it really suits their style. Uh, they can get the housework done and work time. Um, but there are still a, a lot of other people who, are, and probably majority now, are finding that they really need to be back at the office, at some stage at least, because they need that sense of connection with their workmates. They want to better throw ideas off each other. And uh, so it's this whole idea of... of having connection. And I remember when I was a, a, a young salesman, I was a, a travelling salesman back in the early days, and uh, I remember travelling through the country, arriving at a town, finding my motel, settling in there, and then wandering down to a, to a restaurant to have my meal. And I often felt very lonely. There was no one to connect to. You didn't, you know, I wasn't outward going, I couldn't go and start chatting to just any old person there. So there's a lot of a real loneliness being by yourself. And 
the opposite of that is that when I uh, first met Bromwyn, my wife-to-be at that stage, I remember being in Rotorua, where she was from, and uh, I hadn't really met her, I hadn't met her family, hardly met her actually at this stage, but I, I, a friend of mine who, who knew her had told me to go and introduce myself to the family. So I went along and met her father and said, hi, I'm so-and-so, friend of uh, Bronwyn's. And uh, so he invited me into their home that night and had a meal. And just that warmth and hospitality was quite overwhelming and was a, was a wonderful thing. Now, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 8, it says, And the Lord planted a garden in Eden, in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. Out of the ground the Lord made to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. All of human life begins with God's act of hospitality, with God making a place for us in the world that God created, a world that we had no claim to inhabit. God knew that this offer was dangerous because we, the outsiders, might defile the pristine world, but he welcomed us anyway. Having been embraced by God, we must make space for others and invite them in, them in even our enemies. God invited mankind into this perfect garden. God intended it to be home, a place where God would connect with them and they would be welcome. God even invited them to eat from the garden. But because of sin and from because they made wrong choices, they were cast out of that garden, into the cold, a place where they were not connected with God. And then a bit later in Genesis, we see another wonderful example of hospitality. This time it was through Abraham. Abraham 18, verses 1 to 8. The Lord appeared to Abraham by the oak of Mamre, as he sat at the entrance of his tent in the heat of the day, he looked up and saw three men standing near him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent entrance to meet them and bowed down to the ground. He said, My Lord, if I find favor with you, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. Let me bring a little bread that you may refresh yourselves and that you may pass on since you have come to your servant. So they said, do as you have said. And Abraham hastened into the tent. I think this is quite good, this next part. Hastened into the tent to Sarah and said, make ready quickly three measures of choice flour, knead it and make cakes. So it wasn't really Abraham, it was Sarah who did all the work. But anyway, Abraham, but he might be able to redeem himself here. Abraham ran to the herd, took a calf, tender and good, then gave it to the servants to prepare. So... Good old Abraham. Anyway, the, the Lord took curds and milk and the calf that he prepared and set them before them, and he stood by them under the tree while they ate. So Abraham went out of his way, and this was part of probably Eastern hospitality, that if you see a stranger, they didn't have hotels or motels in those days, so if, if strangers were traveling, they often uh, needed local people to offer them hospitality. And so this is what Abraham did. He went out, didn't know these guys, welcomed them in, they were strangers, but he welcomed them in and got this wonderful meal going for them. And God expands, uh, sorry, and God expands the notion of hospitality to include more than meals. And it became central to the very identity for what it meant to be the people of God. 
Treat the foreigner as your native-born, Leviticus 19 says. Love them as yourself, for you were a foreigner in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Uh, whoops, where are we on? It, it is a commandment echoed in Deuteronomy 10. You shall love the stranger because you were strangers in the land of Egypt. And later in the Old Testament, God's prophets remind Israel and Judah that God will judge them based on how they care for the widow, the orphan, and the stranger. That is, by the degree to which they provide outsiders with the privileges which automatically come to those who are part of the community. And in the New Testament, Jesus practiced hospitality and he received it. He ate with sinners and tax collectors. And there was the saying in Luke um, that uh, people started uh, spreading around about Jesus that he was a glutton um, and because he was always um, eating and having meals. And if you go through the Gospel of Luke, there are so many times where Jesus is stopping to have a meal, have a party with somebody. So he was a, he was a bit of a party goer at that time. So uh, he ate with sinners and tax collectors. Accepting their hospitality was not just about sharing a meal. It was a way of identifying with them and making them part of his community, a point that the Pharisees both understood and reviled. Luke 9 is a particularly interesting passage for understanding that what Jesus was trying to teach the disciples about hospitality. At the beginning of this chapter, Jesus sends out the 12 apostles without provisions. He purposely asks them to rely on the hospitality of others. When we Christians, especially those of us with economic power, read this passage, we focus on the message that the disciples carried. But Jesus intentionally put the powerful message in the hands of powerless people. He made them dependent. And what better way to understand the people entrusted to your care than to live with them on their terms? That is what Jesus did in the Incarnation. When we carry the gospel to our neighbours, it is easy to let our comfort get in the way. In the same chapter of Luke, right after the disciples return, we see the feeding of the 5,000, which is another act of hospitality. The crowds have overstayed their welcome, and the disciples want to send them away so that the disciples can find food for themselves. And Jesus tells the disciples to feed these strangers, to treat them as if they are insiders, as part of Jesus' crew. The command to provide hospitality makes no sense to the disciples, so Jesus feeds the outsiders. The disciples were so caught up in their own needs and wants that they did not see the obligation they had to extend their privileges to those outside the band. Jesus wanted the disciples to treat the 5,000 outsiders like they were insiders in his chosen band. It is interesting that what I've been talking about is hospitality in this wider sense but has all been, to, in the wise sense, and it's all been about the outsider, hospitality to the outsider. There's no mention in these, a lot of these passages of giving hospitality to those on the inside, to your friends. It's easier inviting someone you know or is like you into your place, and that's definitely part of our hospitality is to have our friends come round, have people that we know come round and share a meal with us. But God is asking something much wider than that. This is about those on the outside. And I find this very difficult to, to deal with, to practice. 
Um, it's, it's not easy. And it comes back to us as a church. Do we practice hospitality to the outsider? Is Opawa an easy place to enter? And we would like to say it is. But would a stranger feel that they are welcome at our table, metaphorically? Hospitality is often the first experience outsiders have with God's people and the loving God we represent. Outsiders measure warmth by hospitality, by the degree to which insiders treat outsiders like they belong. That means that we must adapt or change how we do things to the experience of the outsider. Say, for instance, I have a friend who is a vegetarian. Uh, I find it difficult with vegetarians. But I, I, vegans are even harder to deal with, but that's all right. Uh, if I have a friend who is a vegetarian, so when Bronwyn and I might invite this friend over for dinner, we don't serve steak as much as I would like to. It would be rude. Part of being friends is that we know that she's a vegetarian. We have listened to her long enough to know how she sees the world, and we accommodated ourselves to her experiences. Accommodation is different to assimilation. In assimilation, the burden is on you, the outsider, to change if you and I are going to share a culture. In accommodation, the burden is on me to change. We in the church know the right way how to treat a friend. We accommodate ourselves to their, to their needs. Yet somehow, when we deal with those on the outside of the church, we often have the attitude that they should be grateful for whatever we offer them and that they should change. But if hospitality is treating strangers as part of the community, then I owe them the same obligation I owe my friends. It is easy to think about hospitality in terms of what food we might offer at a dinner. It is far more difficult and far more important to think about what it means to accommodate a stranger when it comes to the things we do as the people of God. We, the church insiders, have things just the way we like them. We selected a congregation that sings the songs we like, that meets at the time that works for us, and that has sermons on the things that we think are important. But if we are going to welcome outsiders, then we bear an obligation to listen to those people who are not like us, and then to change, possibly, our music, our services, our sermons, so that they reflect the tastes of those we intend to welcome. Hospitality will cost us. All of human life begins... Oops. Now, what about... People will say, well, what about bad guests, bad strangers? Doesn't hospitality leave us open to exploitation? And don't good guests have an obligation to be grateful? Our worries about good hosts and bad guests depends on whether we see ourselves as the host or as the guests. We practice hospitality because God practiced hospitality. God invited us humans into this earth God created. And we were and are bad guests. We messed up the Garden of Eden and we continue to treat each other poorly. We do not show gratitude to God. Yet God keeps offering hospitality. The only way that we can ask about the bad guests is if we see ourselves as only being the good host. That is, if we forget 
that we are the ungrateful guests at God's table. If hospitality is treating an outsider like one of us, then it will change the ways we invite people to participate in our community. For example, Reuben and Sonia were a homeless couple in their 20s. They showed up at a church on a Friday asking help with food. They were living with their infant in a van. The music coordinator, Carol, got them vouchers for food and got them into a temporary housing. But Carol did something more. In talking with Reuben, to Reuben, she discovered that he played bass. She saw it in the van. So she invited him to play with the worship band on Sunday, two days after she'd met him. She did not ask if he was a good musician, and she did not even ask if he was a good Christian. She simply welcomed him in Jesus' name. And now, a couple of years later, Reuben, Sonia, and their child are regular members of that church. How is, it, how is, how is that a story about hospitality? Well, let's say that we had a 25-year-old guitar player who was a child of the church. Would the worship team welcome him? Of course they would. Not only that, they would recruit him. Carol extended to Reuben the privileges that any member of the congregation would have expected. She treated an outsider like an insider, and because of that, he became an insider. That is hospitality. Why did they do this? Our Christian motivation for extending hospitality to the stranger is our experience of receiving hospitality from God. We were estranged from God with no claims on God. But God, in his great love for us, offered us hospitality while we were yet sinners. He invited us into his household, not just as guests, but as adopted joint heirs with Christ. And God's hospitality came at a cost. His only son had to suffer and die and rise again in vindication so that we might have a place once again at God's table. Hospitality is the core of the Christian experience. In Hebrews 13.2, we read this passage, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing that some have entertained angels without knowing it. And I wonder this morning, do we have any visiting angels with us this morning? Have you entertained strangers in your home and found them to be angels? We can start with hospitality in a very simple way. We can start about how we welcome strangers into our fellowship here. What things that are power would you be prepared to change to make outsiders feel welcome here? I'm not talking about changing the message. I'm talking about, about salvation in Christ. I'm just talking about the way we present things, perhaps. And perhaps we could start off at Opawa by, in a simple way, just inviting people that we know here to our homes for a meal. And then when we get comfortable with that, we could perhaps start inviting other people that we don't know uh, for a meal or out for a coffee. So that is my, my, my prayer is that we as a fellowship would not only be a welcome place for people coming in here, but that we would be a place where people feel they can stay and 
they can fellowship with us around a meal or, or whatever it is that they, can, they will feel part of us. And that requires us to be hospitable and loving people as Christ was to us. Amen. Just before the, the music group comes up, um, next Sunday, straight after the, the service, we're going to have uh, a church family meeting out in, or no, we'll probably do it in here actually. Um, so it's not a business meeting, it's just we have some issues to discuss. So if you would uh, put that in your diary, so straight after the service next Sunday, we're going to meet together. Um, we might have some food. So we'll have some food, we'll uh, share that in some way, as safe as we can uh, with COVID. Um, but you don't have to be a member, just if you feel this is part of your family. Um, and please, uh, after the service next Sunday, stay and we'll have a short time together. Music group.